Well, you guys have been in this uh, red letter challenge for about 40 days now, for a month and a half. And here's, what, here's my promise to you. If you'll take what I'm about to say today, take it to heart, I am going to give you the secret of keeping this thing going, not just for a month and a half, for 40 days, but how can what you have learned through the 40-day challenge go on and on and on, really for the rest of your life. So that's my promise. I'm going to give you the secret for helping this thing keep going for the rest of your life. But first, before we jump into that, just a little bit about me. My name is John Whitaker, and I've been a pastor and a Bible college professor And uh, right now, I'm creating online Bible teaching resources that you can find on my website, johnwhitaker.net. And uh, my connection with you guys there at Dallas Church is this, that I knew Ben Bauman way back before he was even a nobody, like before he hooked up with Scott Riggin and moved to Nashville and they formed the band The Nobodies, Ben and I were classmates at Boise Bible College together. Um, and, and then I graduated from BBC. I went to graduate school. And then after graduate school, uh, I actually became a professor at Boise Bible College. And it was while teaching there, I taught there for 19 years. And while teaching there, I actually got to know Andrew. Uh, he was a student of mine for a period of time. And, and then also while I was teaching at BBC, I hosted a class or more of a workshop almost on church planting. And one of the speakers regularly in that workshop was Ben Bauman. And in the early years of Dallas Church, he would share stories about planting Dallas Church and getting the church going. So I've had a little bit of this connection with you guys for a a rather long time. And so when Ben asked if I would preach this wrap-up sermon for the Red Letter Challenge for you, I was super excited to be a part of that. And then, since I was only vaguely familiar with the Red Letter Challenge, as I learned more about what the Red Letter Challenge was and what it was about and realized that it was all about discipleship. Man, then I got even more excited to share this message with you. And as I looked at the Red Letter Challenge, I realized, oh, this is, this is all about like learning from Jesus how to do your life. In fact, uh, you guys have been looking at these five Red Letter priorities over the last a handful of Sundays that you've been in this challenge, and those priorities are being, particularly being with Jesus. And then there's forgiving, and that if we're going to follow Jesus, that requires us to um, not only be forgiven, but to live a forgiving kind of life, serving and giving and going, those five red-letter priorities from the life and teaching of Jesus. And the goal of all of this, this red-letter challenge, is to learn from Jesus how to live your life. And that's what discipleship is all about. That's essentially what it means to be a disciple. In fact, the way I like to define the word disciple is this. A disciple is someone who has arranged their life to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus. That's just what the word disciple means. It means being with Jesus in order to become like like Jesus. That's the way the word disciple was understood in Jesus' day. And so the text I want to look at today actually shows us that, helps us think this through as followers of Jesus. So take a look at Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 40. And just to set the context for us, Luke chapter 6 is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. You have Matthew's version in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Well, here in Luke uh, chapter 6, you have Luke's version of that. And Luke has 
uh, described how Jesus called his apostles to himself. And now with his newly appointed apostles sitting in the crowd in front of him, he wants to help him understand what it means to be his his disciple, his follower. Uh, And in the case of the apostles, that they've got to be disciples before they can actually be apostles. So what does it mean to live as a disciple? And this is what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he says, a student, a pupil, is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And this is Jesus just assuming the way, a, the way discipleship worked in his context in the first century world. In fact, the word that's translated pupil or student, depending on your translation there, is actually the word mathetes in Greek, which is the word for disciple. In other words, a disciple is not above his teacher. That is, a disciple is not above his rabbi. And Jesus, with those words, has simply set us down right in the context of the first century relationship between a rabbi and his talmidim, or his talmid, his rabbi and his disciples in the Jewish context. And so when we think about school and we think about students and teachers in our context, how does that work? When you think of a student, what do you picture? What comes to mind? Um, most of us would picture your typical sort of American classroom, right? And in an American classroom, what do you have? You have rows and rows of desks, or maybe, you know, you've got tables, some sort of desks or tables in the classroom. You've got chairs at the, the desks, and all the students are sitting in those those desks, those chairs, and they're looking towards the teacher who's at the front of the room. Teacher's got a whiteboard or something behind him where he can write some notes on the whiteboard. And what's the goal? What's the goal of that whole process? Well, really, the goal of that process is for the teacher to teach information to the students, and then the students write down the notes in their notebook or type the notes on their laptop so that they can learn the information, so that they can put the information down on the test, so they can pass the class or get a good grade, right? That's the way it works. In the In the American context, if we set ourselves down in that context of students and teachers, what our goal is, is not to to imitate the teacher per se. The goal for us is to know what the teacher knows. Just get the information and the teacher passes on that information. We acquire it as students and then we put the information on a test. We pass the class, move on to the next class. The goal is simply to learn the information, to know what the teacher knows but not in Jesus' context, not in uh, the relationship between a rabbi and his disciples. The goal was not just to know what the teacher knew. The goal was to become what the teacher was. That's the whole way the rabbi-disciple relationship worked. That was the whole assumption about it. And you see it here in this passage. A student, a rabbi, or a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. In our context, we would never think, oh man, I want to be just like my geometry teacher, or I want to be just like my history teacher. We don't sign up for the class to be just like our teacher. But that's what happened in Jesus' context. Um, Disciples attach themselves to a rabbi that they wanted to imitate his way of life. They admired the way he handled the Old Testament scriptures. They admired the way he interpreted and applied the Torah. They admired the way he applied those, the, those teachings, the Torah, to himself and carried out in his own life. They looked at him and they were like, I want to be like him. 
And so they would become his disciple in order to become like him. So it wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew. It was to become what the rabbi was. That's how discipleship worked in Jesus' day and age. In fact, um, it is we think about that and we begin to try to bring that into our context, one of the things that's important for us as modern-day Christians, modern-day followers of Rabbi Jesus, is that the goal of the Mathetes, the goal of the disciple, was not, not just to keep the rules, right? It wasn't just to, okay, I want to learn the information, I want to learn the, the, the teaching of the rabbi so I could keep the rules. It, it, we, we're not interested in just keeping the rules because that's incredibly external, right? That just deals with behavior modification. And so often, sometimes in the church, that's the way it plays out. You just kind of put on the religious facade, right? You, you keep the, the, the proper rules. You look like a good Christian. You play the part on the outside. You just kind of manipulate your behavior, but you're not really changed on the inside. And Jesus was always incredibly concerned about that. It's not purely external. It's got to be internal. So it's not just keeping the rules. And it's, it was, it's not even just about um, adding some religious activity to your life. Like being a disciple of Rabbi Jesus is not just about adding some religious activity. We, we go to church on Sundays. We go to Bible study during the week. We pray before meals, right? We, uh, we at least know our Bible a little bit. We can quote the appropriate passage. We could put the appropriate, you know, Christian meme on our social media feed or whatever it is. We don't just add some religious looking activity to our life. Again, that's so external. That's like all on the outside, and it doesn't really change us. The goal of being a disciple of a rabbi was not just to add some external behaviors or external practices to the outside of our life. The goal was actually to become like the rabbi from the inside out. Um, And so that you're genuinely, wholeheartedly, deeply like the rabbi from the inside out. And so as disciples of Jesus, the goal is to become like Jesus from the inside out. In fact, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes on just a little bit later in the passage, and he envisions this goal of becoming like him, like the teacher. He envisions this goal using the imagery of, of, of a tree. This is what he says, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. He says, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree, which produces good fruit. If you have a healthy tree, it's going to produce healthy fruit, right? It's just, this is going to produce fruit. It's not even going to have to try hard to produce fruit. It's just going to happen, right? If, if you have a tree that is vibrant, flourishing, healthy, it's just going to produce vibrant, flourishing fruit. On the other hand, if the tree is bad, right, it's not going to produce any fruit or it's going to produce kind of withered, shriveled, nasty looking fruit. It's just the, the result of the nature of the tree. Jesus goes on in verse 44 and says, for each tree is known by its own fruit. You'll, you will know what kind of tree it is by the kind of fruit it produces. If you walk up to a tree and you see lemons growing on the tree, then you know it's a, it's a lemon tree. If you walk up to a tree and you see apples growing on a tree, then you know it's, a, it's an apple tree. Each tree is known by its own kind of fruit. For men don't gather figs from thorns. You're not going to gather figs from a blackberry bush, right? 
Uh, That's just not the way it works. You need a fig tree to get figs, uh, nor do people pick grapes from a briar bush. You need a grapevine for that, right? Like the kind of tree it is, is obvious from the kind of fruit it produces. And then Jesus makes the point in verse 45. He says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. Um, a good tree produces good fruit. An orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree produces apples. A good man, good woman, a good person brings forth good treasure out of the good that's stored up in his heart. And the evil man, um, out of the evil treasure stored up in his heart, brings forth what is evil. For his heart speaks out of the overflow, or his mouth speaks out of the overflow of his heart. And so the kind of person you are is obvious by the fruit of your life, by the kind of fruit you produce. Now, uh, it hasn't been that long since Christmas. So most of us can still remember what our Christmas tree looked like just a couple months ago, right? It's only been a few months. So here's a picture of my Christmas tree from this past Christmas, 2020, uh, with the two cutest little granddaughters in the world standing in front of it. Um, there's my tree. It's got its lights on it. It's got its ornaments on it, right? And my cute little granddaughters would walk up and they knew certain ornaments and they would grab certain ornaments and they would talk about those ornaments and they would, right? Like, there's our Christmas tree. We went up into the hills outside of Boise uh, early in December. We took our saw. We made a campfire up there in the hills and we had snacks and we had a great family time. We cut down our Christmas tree. We put it on the top of our car. We drove back into town. We put it in its Christmas tree stand and then we put the lights and the ornaments on it. Is that tree alive or dead? Obviously, it's dead, right? It's still green, but three or four weeks from from the time we cut it down, we're like, we're ready to get it out of our house because pine needles are dropping all over the floor, right? That's the way it goes. By, you know, the, the end of December, it's like, okay, let's get this thing out of our house. We're getting covered in pine needles. And the ornaments on the tree are beautiful. They look nice, but they're fake, They're not like a part of the tree. The tree didn't produce those ornaments. And sometimes what happens uh, as Christians is we're like that Christmas tree. We dress ourselves all up so we look all pretty. We put on all this religious activity, all these religious words, right? We can say all these religious things. We're involved in serving in in the activity of the church, and we're involved in all these things, but we're, we're a dead tree, and we're not producing good fruit. We've just got religious ornaments hanging all over us. Now, on the other hand, look at this picture of an apple tree. Now, is that an apple tree without that big, bright, juicy apples on it? Like, is it having to try to produce those apples? Is it having to think hard about it? Grow apples, grow apples, grow apples. No, it doesn't have to think about it. Why? Because it's an apple tree. And it's a healthy, flourishing apple tree. And as a result, it just naturally produces vibrant Apples, crisp, juicy, good apples. And that's Jesus' point here in Luke 6, that a disciple who has been fully trained by his rabbi becomes a good tree and naturally produces good fruit. Doesn't have to sweat it, doesn't have to try hard, right? Doesn't have to think about it, isn't just dressed, dressed up. From the inside out, it's an apple tree. From the inside out, he or she is a good person and just naturally, regularly, routinely produces good fruit. And that's the goal of discipleship. Discipleship to Jesus leads to being a good tree. 
Discipleship to Jesus leads to being a good tree, the kind of tree that just naturally and routinely and regularly produces good fruit. Or another way to say it is, discipleship is the means of spiritual growth. Do you want to grow spiritually? Have you ever said, I just want to, I really want to grow spiritually? Do you want to grow spiritually? If so, the way to do that is by discipleship to Jesus. Discipleship to Jesus is how you and I grow spiritually. It's how we become a good, good tree who produces good fruit regularly, routinely, naturally, or maybe better, supernaturally by the help of Jesus living within us. And so when we talk about that, when we talk about living uh, as a disciple of Jesus is the means of spiritual growth, what we have to understand is that doesn't happen on accident. Living as a disciple does not happen on accident. It takes intentional effort. Uh, my son-in-law is big into off-roading and, you know, being outdoors. He's got a big old lifted up uh, Ford Explorer so that he can, you know, off-road. And he and I have gone on some off-road adventures together. He loves to be outdoors. Well, he got a great deal on a used canoe. And so he ended up with this canoe and he wanted to go test out this canoe. So we figured, why not, you know, a two-for-one adventure. We'll, we'll go on some off-road trails and we'll fish out of the canoe at the same time. And so he heard about this reservoir out south in the desert of Boise, right? Like way out south in the desert. Oh, great. We can off-road out to this reservoir out in the middle of nowhere. We put the canoe in the water and we can go fishing. And so we do. In fact, here's a picture of Joe and I in the canoe. Uh, and what you notice when you just look at the hillsides is it is true desert. There is nothing, no trees, barren dirt, an occasional sagebrush and a little bit of grass, but no trees. In other words, nothing to break the wind. So here we are in the canoe, uh, ready to go fishing. We have our fishing gear and uh, we have our lunch and we're going to paddle to, you know, what looks like a good spot in this reservoir and we're going to fish. The problem is every time we take our, our paddles, we set them down in the canoe, we grab our fishing pole and we begin to try to fish because there's nothing to break the wind. The, the wind, even though it wasn't that strong, it was just a gentle wind. It was enough of a wind to keep pushing us, pushing us, pushing us, into the, the far side, into the bank, where the water was shallow and muddy, and there certainly weren't going to be any fish there. So we have to pick up our, our paddle, and we'd have to paddle back out to the middle of uh, the, the reservoir. We'd put our paddles down, we'd get our fishing pole, we'd cast again, and the next thing you know, we're up against the bank again. We, we had a terrible fishing experience. We didn't catch anything, um, and we could hardly even put a line in the water because we kept drifting across the reservoir, up against the bank where it wasn't good fishing. Um, and sometimes we approach the spiritual life like that. We think that we could just kind of go about life as normal and coast along, and we're just going to drift into discipleship. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the opposite has happened. You'll drift away from discipleship. In other words, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to keep this red letter challenge going so that you continue becoming like Jesus from the inside out, if you want to keep that going for the rest of your life, it's not going to happen on accident. It's going to take intentional effort. You don't drift into discipleship. You just don't. Um, you're going to have to plan for it. In fact, that's the beauty of this red letter challenge. For the last 40 days, you've actually had a plan. 
You've had something to guide you so that you could make intentional effort so that you could live as a disciple of Jesus, paying attention to his teachings, listening to his words, and beginning to form your life and pattern your life after him. You've had a plan, and you've put in some intentional effort. If you want to keep this thing going for the rest of your life, you're going to have to continue to make intentional effort to follow Jesus. You're going to have to plan to do it because it's not going to happen on accident. You don't drift into discipleship. Instead, you have to arrange your life to be with Jesus so that you can become like Jesus. Remember, that's the goal. That's the goal of a rabbi-discipleship relationship is to become like him and to become like him so fully that you're like him from the inside out. And you're going to have to arrange your life intentionally and deliberately, arrange your life to be with him so that you can become like him. That's exactly how discipleship works. And so wherever you're at on the discipleship journey, the discipleship path, um, that's what it's going to take for you to keep this going for the rest of your life. You're going to have to plan. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to look at the way your life is organized. And you're going to have to maybe remove some things from your life, add some things into your life so that you can be with Jesus because that's the first priority of the Red Letter Challenge. That's the, that's the fundamental activity of a disciple is to be with the rabbi. So you're going to have to arrange your life to be with him with the goal of becoming like him. Um, and so maybe... Maybe you're fairly new at this whole thing. Like maybe you're pretty early on in the discipleship path. Like you're kind of at the beginning. You're, you're fairly new to faith in Jesus and you're just getting it all figured out. And it's not real clear and there's still a lot to learn. And you know you've got a lot of changes you need to make in your life, but you still want to be a disciple of Jesus. So even then in the early stages, while you still got a lot to learn, you're still a disciple as you arrange your life to be with Jesus to learn how to become like him. Or maybe you're a little further down the path and you've, you've got some things going and you've learned some things about following Jesus and you, you're beginning to uh, increasingly do things the way Jesus would want them done and your, your family life is beginning to reflect Jesus. You've learned some things about Jesus. You've got a ways to go, but you're a little further down the path. And you too are going to have to look at your life and say, how do I arrange my life to be with him so that more and more I can become like him. Or, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a super long time and you've been intentional about it. You haven't just gone to church and then done your life the, the rest of the way you know, society does it. You've actually been intentional about following Jesus. You've read his words. You've uh, immersed yourself in the scriptures. You've intentionally removed things from your life that take you away from Jesus. And you've tried to pattern your life and your character and the mission of your life is substantially like Jesus. You're mature in the faith. That's what it means. If, as you move down this path, the goal is to become like Jesus. And when that happens, you're substantially like Jesus in character on the inside so that the mission of your life is like Jesus on the outside. And maybe that's where you're at uh, and you're substantially like Jesus. You're not perfect. You've learned some things, right? Like wherever you're at on the discipleship pathway, if you're going to live as a disciple of Jesus and you're going to become a good tree, then that happens intentionally. You're going to arrange your life around Jesus and his things. You're going to put intentional spiritual practices in your life so that you can focus your, 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 your heart, your soul, your mind, and your activities on the things of Jesus so that Jesus now can actually become your teacher in the school of life. And so if you want to keep this red letter challenge going, not just for 40 days, month and a half, right? If you want to keep it going for, for the rest of 2021, you want to keep it going into 2022 and for the rest of your life, 
then what it's going to take on your part is that you actually arrange your life to be with Jesus so that you can learn from Jesus how to live your life as if he were you, so that you can become like him from the inside out. That's how you become a good tree. That's how you actually live as a disciple of Jesus. You don't just go to church and add a few religious activities and then live the rest of your life and do business and do family life and do friendships the way the rest of the world does. No, you're like, I actually believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about. I want to listen to him. I want to learn from him because I have confidence that he is the best teacher for life. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's how you'll keep this thing going for the rest of your life.